I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and you're listening to an all-new episode of Wiretap on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 159. Today's episode, By the Seashore. After a whole religious rebirth that I won't go into here, the summer of my 16th year found me seriously considering yeshiva, rabbinical school, for the fall. My rabbi suggested I spend the summer at this religious camp just to give me a better idea of what was to come. But my best friend Evan said that summer camp was for suckers and religious camp was even worse. He said he was going to spend the summer in Wildwood, New Jersey, working at an amusement park on the beach, and that if I came with him, he'd personally make sure I had a good time. I'll get you ailed really good, he wrote, like a blood oath, in my 1986 high school yearbook. That's eld as in the letter L, and getting eld seemed important, especially if I was going to be giving my life over to the Torah, a text that placed greater emphasis on getting seed, as in circumcised. And so I went to Wildwood. Wildwood, New Jersey is your typical amusement park on the beach, a la Jersey Shore. There's a boardwalk, three wooden piers with roller coasters, a Ferris wheel, and games of skill and chance. That was 25 years ago, and I'm dumbstruck by how little I actually remember about Wildwood. This worries me, too, because it seems like slowly, all of my life will be similarly lost to time. I've always wanted to go back and see what being there once again might help me to remember about a summer that, at the time, I was mostly trying to forget. And so I went back to Wildwood. The smell of garbage is really uh, bringing it all back in a rush. Jonathan Menhivar, a radio producer friend of mine, decided to come along and record the proceedings. How close did you live to the pier? Um, I mean, as you've seen getting here, my, my sense of direction isn't my forte. Um, man, it's like the whole summer I was just like floating around in like a jar of formaldehyde. <laughs> When I went to Wildwood when I was 16, the plan had been to get a job for the summer. It was what a lot of teenagers in Montreal did. Evan's older brother had done it years earlier and had arranged a job for Evan, handing out darts to patsies eager to pop balloons on the boardwalk. And I was supposed to get a job too. But on our fourth night there, still without work, I sat on the edge of my bed and felt that sense of being a failure, a man who was a failure, for the very first time. This feeling would eventually become a staple in my life, something I'd grow comfortable with in bars, gyms, offices, and bedrooms. But just then, the feeling was strange and new, and I didn't quite know what to do with it. We lived in a co-ed boarding house run by a woman with a face like a clenched fist named Mrs. D. Evan and I each paid Mrs. D $800 a month. This was for a shared room where we slept on side-by-side beds like Ernie and Bert. I spent my days hanging out at Evan's balloon stand where his boss finally became so tired of having me hang around that he pulled some strings to get me a job working as a change boy at an arcade. If you walked down the boardwalk, there was a point where it looked like the fun had come to an end. My arcade was just a few yards past that. Do you remember where on the pier yeah, you were? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm trying to, like, I think, I mean, if anything, maybe that little shack right over there was the arcade. 
where there's a roller coaster going over it now. It's sort of like the little house that uh, Alvy Singer grew up in, in, in Annie Hall. You've still got pizza parlors, games with unwinnable prizes, and the vague threat of violence about to erupt. In other words, Wildwood hadn't changed much. Back then, everything looked like 1986. Now, 1987. Though, as it turns out, the arcade I worked at is long gone. Even at the time, all the other arcades were carpeted and air-conditioned, but mine was like an outhouse with all the oldest, skankiest games, all their joysticks having had the joy jerked right out of them years earlier. On the 4th of July, I remember watching the fireworks through a little crack in the wall, right above the Donkey Kong machine. I felt like a young Tony Montana just having come to America, except the only person I wanted to kill was myself. Being a human change machine is just one of the jobs that seems only to exist on the boardwalk, like the guy who's paid to dance in front of the t-shirt shop to draw customers, or the girl who blows bubbles all day outside a souvenir store. Yes, that's my job. I, I take money from them. That's, that's your whole job is just blowing bubbles? Not only. And shine with laser. Shine a laser in people's eyes? No. No, of course. The bubble girl tells me she is from Bulgaria. The Bulgarian bubble girl is very young looking, like first time away from home young. And as she explains to me her work responsibilities, she is approached by a man who turns out to be her boss. He plants a big kiss on her cheek, as though marking his territory. Is it a good summer? It's all right. It's all right. This boardwalk's getting bad. At nighttime, this boardwalk is bad. What do you mean? Like, bad like, and people stabbing people and shooting people, yeah. You go two blocks off the boardwalk, there was a shooting and a stabbing the other day. Holy cow. <laughs> it's worse under the boardwalk. <laughs> what goes on under the boardwalk? Oh, sex and drugs. I park underneath my store and you can see underneath it here. And you catch them all the time down under there. They go right down them steps and right underneath the boardwalk. Wow. Sex under the boardwalk. Cool. Me and you. Yeah, you want to do it? No. <laughs> yep, all right. See you later. Oh boy. That was creepy. My old boss, Mike, was creepy too. Mike always wore sunglasses and a red, skin-tight bathing suit that, for some reason I could never quite fathom, always appeared to be wet. My friend Evan said that it was unwholesome how Mike's arms were so short. He's like a T-Rex, Evan said. Most of the time, I was in the arcade all by myself, and hardly anyone ever came in. Just little kids who sat on the ancient skee-ball machines begging for prizes. Those old skee-ball machines haven't really changed. Now, my technique used to be I'd kind of do a sort of bank shot, like there was this kind of sweet spot that I would hit on the right bank. That was really close, wasn't it? You got the lowest amount of points you can get. You're like my son that I'm taking out. Trying to, you got the lowest one, Dad. That little beer cozy is going to be mine. No longer will my hand have to be so frigid when I'm drinking a Budweiser. Mike was an alcoholic, and he left me to open and close the place most of the time. 
Sometimes he would stagger in, in the middle of the afternoon, and lay down on the lopsided pool table. Once comfortably spread out, he'd ask me to cover him, from head to toe, with the stuffed animal prizes for skee-ball, so he could sleep without getting caught by the old woman who ran the pier. Every time I put Mike to bed, I became more and more convinced that yeshiva was the place for me. When he wasn't goofing off drunk, Mike was furthering Evan's work of trying to get me eld. He would invite Nancy, the 19-year-old redhead who ran the water squirt game next door over, so he could tell her about how she should de-virginalize me. Nancy was a Jersey girl who wore low-backed shirts that showed off a large, complicated dragon tattoo. She told me it was a Chinese wind god and that an old biker boyfriend had given it to her. It started at her neck and slithered all the way down into her pants to blow across the tundra. In the afternoon, when business was slow, Nancy would come by and tell me about how Mike had just been over, pleading on my behalf, and how she tried to explain to him that we was just friends, right? Oh yeah, I'd say, swallowing back the hard lump of foul-tasting virgin tears congealing in my throat. The best. Listen to this music. Don't you feel like you're going to round like, the corner and you're going to see like Joe Pesci beating someone to death with a baseball bat? That's all I could think about. It's a song called Wildwood Days. Do you hear it? Wildwood Days and Wildwood Nights. Jonathan and I walk down the boardwalk where we discover what's got to be the very worst job in Wildwood. Most of the stuff I do is just off the top of my head. It's whatever I can pick up on the spot. This is Dutz Bonus Jr. The sounds you hear are of people shooting at him with guns. Dutz Bonus Jr. is a human paintball target. He shuffles back and forth and eggs on the crowd while being splattered like a Jackson Pollock canvas. <laughs> you know, I, I'll, I'll put it as blunt as I can because this is how it is on my tax forms too. I'm an entertainer. Not the dancer kind, but uh, basically I get suited up in a hockey gear and I get shot at all night. And that doesn't, that it doesn't start to get to you a little bit? Do you dream about it? Nah. I love it. It's entertaining to me because this is one of the jobs that I can be as creative as I want to be. And, you know, it's just like, you know, uh, web page design. You know, you, when you go in, you can do whatever you want. Before Dutz, human paintball targets simply shuffled from side to side holding a shield. Then one day, Dutz dropped his shield and began to moonwalk. Soldier Boy was to follow. He also invented shadow boxing at the paintballs and running towards the shooters. Dutz is protected by a suit that looks like what you'd come up with if you tried to build a Michelin Man costume out of moist newspaper and epoxy glue. So people are armed with paintball guns? Yep, that we provide. Because a lot of people try to, you know, they want to bring their own, but we don't allow that. It's just not going to happen. The suit that you that you wear protects you from from any pain. Um, for the most part, yeah. There's some weak spots, but you know I can't say where the weak spots are because then a lot of people will find out, and then you know, and then it kind of becomes a little dangerous, you know. Before agreeing to talk with me, Dutz wanted to finish his break with the woman who works next door at the old timey photo place. As it turns out, she's his wife who we met on this very boardwalk. Dutz might spend his day getting fired at in a cage, 
but at least on his time off, he has someone to talk to, someone with whom to share the secret weak spots in his armor. Your attention, please. Five minutes to play on our speedball special. Good luck to everyone. Dutz isn't the only one who's made a life for himself at Wildwood. While I lasted just one summer here, many come back year after year, finding themselves at home in the hustle and bustle of the boardwalk. Five minutes left to collect those bonuses up. Back in 1988, Mitch Szymanski came down to Wildwood for a vacation with his wife. 23 years later, he still has not left. Can I ask how old you are? 93. He can't think of a better way to spend his retirement than working as a barker at one of the boardwalk's arcades. I call the games, like skee-ball and all. Like I'll say, hello, Joe, what do you know? Let's play skee-ball, you know. And that, they kind of like it. Do you, have, uh, do you have friends here in Wildwood? Well... Not too many friends down here. All my friends, I was in the Army, and all my friends are departed now. I'm the last of the Mohiggins. <laughs> it's hard to talk like that. I, I lost four men that during the Battle of Bulge, we got hit. War is hell, war is hell. There were good times at the war, though. <laughs> Plenty to drink. <laughs> they come out, throw flowers at you, you know, and the women come up and they kiss you and all that crap. <laughs> Back when I was a young man, living in Wildwood, there weren't many kisses, there wasn't much crap. Despite its reputation for being a place where everyone was scoring like nuts every night, the only trace of action I got that summer was on my last day when I was going around saying goodbye to everyone at my boarding house. It was with this girl from the room beside me. Her name was Betty, and she had puffy permed red hair, just like my grandmother's. We'd always had this really nice rapport that dated back to the night she'd come home crying because two separate people at the ice cream parlor where she worked had called her Sir. I comforted her and even had practical suggestions. Maybe you should wear makeup, I said. I try to, she said, but I get so sweaty it just runs off my face and onto the ice cream. I remember seeing it all in my mind, the makeup spilling onto the ice cream, creating the saddest Sundays ever, little cups of soft serve with melting mascara and eyeshadow, topping it like chocolate sauce. The kiss happened when I knocked on Betty's door to say goodbye, and she just suddenly sort of jumped into my lap and kissed me on the lips. That's how I remember it, her jumping into my lap, even though I was standing. It was surprising, but not the good kind of surprising, like the sudden stab of painful gas surprising, or maybe just spilling something on yourself surprising. More like that. Perm or no perm, there's a special kind of lust you feel for a girl in the summer when you share a boarding house with them at the age of 16. It's like a big, sexy, incestuous love boat slowly sinking into the autumn. And since I thought that my kiss with Betty could very well be the last kiss I would ever get until I got married, 
It pretty much felt like my bachelorhood. In yeshiva, I would be the mysterious one with the past. I didn't know it then, but that summer would prove the best one I'd have as a teenager. Even though I was worked like an indentured servant, giving every penny of my earnings to Mrs. D, even though I made no friends, and even though I only made it to the beach once, where I sat on a mildewy boarding house washcloth, exhausted and pale, that whole summer felt like some big fat vacation, just because I was 16 and away from my parents for the very first time. When I got back home, I didn't end up going to yeshiva. I didn't bring home any pen pals, money, or happy romantic memories. But I did bring back a pair of black pants covered in small white skulls. They were really baggy and I had to wear them with 10-inch cuffs at the bottom. But when I showed up on my first day back at school, I thought I looked really punk rock. I thought, like anyone who'd never been eld, that they were the pants of someone who got eld all summer long. A lot of winners today? Do you Friday feel winners. Like a batter? And what would you say to get a guy like me to come over? I don't know if I would call you in. You don't look like the type of guy that um, would spend money here, you know? You get three shots for five or seven for ten, guys. Was he saying that I'm too cool a customer, or was he saying you're too cheap a Jew? and that's kind of what the Jersey Shore is. Like all the beautiful parts of Vegas, like the dancing and like the drinking, all that stuff in Vegas, but like imagine that on the beach, is off the hook. So let me get this straight. You're saying that before you were kicked off, you were a cast member on the Jersey Shore reality TV show. I was the inspiration. I was working at California Pizza Kitchen uh-huh. in Seaside Heights. Right. And, um, and I, like, lived with a bunch of girlfriends. And then, like, we we basically ruled the entire shore. So then when they came in and, like, the producers, this guy, I don't even know the person's name, Antonio or something, uh-huh. came in. I waited on them. And they're like, oh, my God, this girl's so gorgeous. We should get her on TV. What's the, how do we get her on TV and everything. And so then they basically created the Jersey Shore around me. And then they stole it from underneath me, basically. And like they hire these people, like first of all, Snooky, her name is Nicole. Yeah. It's not Snooky. Right. You know where they came up with the name Snooky from Nicole, which it's not like Snooky is a nickname for Nicole. It would be Nikki or Coley. Right. And the reason they even came up with that, think about that. My name is Cookie, her name is Snooky. Huh? I mean, first of all, I've had a hair poof since I went to summer camp fifth grade, I didn't know how to brush my hair, and this big knot formed, and if I got home, I thought my mom was going to kill me, and she's like, oh my god, you look fantastic, don't ever touch it, so I never touched it, it just got bigger and bigger, all of a sudden, this Nicole comes in, right. and suddenly, she's got a poof, and she can't brush her hair none, and she knows she's been brushing her hair since she's, you know, she was a gymnast or something, like, she, they brushed their hair more than they even touched their toes, she knows how to brush her hair, she took my poof. She stole my hairstyle, she stole my dancing, she stole like my she stole my fighting, like everything I do, she's 
Because this is like now, like they're always like fighting. It's like, oh God, look at you guys are so you're so tough with your fists and everything. But I right. used to just take out a knife. You, you did. Yeah, I mean that's the whole thing. If you're gonna go to the Jersey Shore, like my dad would always be like, don't go out without your knives. So I never went out without my knives. They call it a cookie cutter. My dad's always like, don't leave the house without your cookie cutter. And I'm like, Dad, I know. You know, and that's the thing. Like you wear, you wear like a small dress, but there's just plenty of room for a knife, but a knife underneath. That's why sometimes you can't wear any, you can't wear no underwear because you gotta like wear like your knife strap. It's just like a piece of elastic. Like you can take like old men's underwear and just cut off the underwear part and put it like a knife strap. You, you say you were one of the original mm-hmm. castmates because when I, I I actually tried googling around for mm-hmm. cookie on the Jersey Shore I oh, could not find anything I oh, couldn't find anything like I looked no. on YouTube to see if maybe there were outtakes video yeah. why is that Viacom they've covered their tracks and why because they they I don't know like I guess if I was gonna say there was like one incident or whatever okay um, if I was gonna pinpoint it. Mm-hmm. I would probably be, well, you know, they so they have these producers or whatever, but like they don't give you any money. Like they want you to have a f- job when you're there. So like we're working like ice cream parlors, like making t-shirts, like working like slaves. I was like, f- that, you know what we should do? Because we want to have a big party. So I called, you know, there's this guy, there's uh, Vinny. He's like such a nice guy. Uh, he's one of the castmates. And uh, mm-hmm. I was like, you know what we should do? It would be really funny. I'm going to call Vinny's parents and tell him that he's dead. And that's hilarious. And they can be like, oh, my God, he's dead. What? They'll call and they'll be like, oh, what well, should we get the body? And we'll be like, don't worry about the body. Just send us some money for the casket. We'll take care of the whole thing. You just come to the funeral. It's going to be f-ing awesome. Whose idea was this? It was my idea. Okay. Sometimes, like, I have ideas, and if I learn with other ideas, I call them a cookie sandwich. And it's like, sometimes that, like, results in, like, an awesome party time. So the best part is, like, we're f-ing going to buy a casket. We're going to fill it with ice. We're going to fill it with drinks. It's going to be hilarious. We're gonna have like you know like sausages, different lunch meats, and uh, and then the producers were like, oh no, you can't do that. I was like, oh, I can't tell someone's parents that their son is fake dead, really. They couldn't. They were like, you know, my one of my things I always say, like when I, like if I'm like pissed at you, like you eyeball me or whatever, like at a bar, I'm like, hey, look at me twice, I'll you. Look at me three times, I'll again. I don't care. This is how the cookie crumbles. They couldn't handle that. You want the cookie, and then you can't handle the crumbs. On today's Wiretap, you heard Laura Cookie Craft. Wiretap is produced by Mira Bertwin-Tonic, Crystal Duhame, and me, Jonathan Goldstein. Subscribe to the Wiretap podcast at cbc.ca slash wiretap where you can also download the latest wiretap ringtone. Hello, Joe, what do you know? Let's play skee-ball. Experience the thrill of the boardwalk with every ring of your phone. And special thanks today to Jane Feltes, Ira Glass, Jonathan Menhivar, and Julie Snyder. Another big thanks goes out to everyone who sent in letters and theme songs throughout the summer. I listen to all the theme songs, and I read all the letters, and overwhelmingly, they're really, really nice. So, thank you. Keep the letters coming. They're really touching to all of us on the show. And keep the theme songs coming, too, of which here is Chicago band The Welcome with their song called Wiretap. Hope you like it. Monday morning.
mind here they This is terrible, this is really what goes down.